Lord Jesus, we know that you do not run away from us, but we run away from you. So, Lord, please use what you say to us in the Bible to help us stick with you better. We pray this in your name. Amen. Last week, my wife made a batch of chocolate chip cookies, which, as you know, I cannot resist. And uh, my kids, knowing my habit and my ability to eat literally dozens of cookies in one sitting, were worried that there wouldn't be any left for them, which shockingly was a real possibility. So before I went to bed, my four-year-old son came up to me and started waving his arms like a referee signaling a missed field goal and said, Daddy, no more cookies. No. I found it sort of amusing because at the time when he came in, I was working on this sermon about temptation. Proving yet again that we pastors always live what we preach, which is why next week's sermon is on how to handle a million dollars. We've been talking a lot about the various issues that we face as individuals. Things like secrets, envy, failure. And today I want to talk about temptation. We all face various kinds of temptations. Sexual temptations, temptations to overeat, Maybe it's a gossip habit that you can't seem to break, an anger habit that you've got. Maybe you keep fudging your expense account at work. In our culture, a huge temptation for most of us is consumerism. We live in a culture where shopping is something we do for recreation, not out of necessity. In fact, did you know that most American Christians spend more money on credit card interest alone than they give to the church? I find that interesting. Christians are giving more money to Visa than to God. We face a lot of temptations in our culture. And as we can see in the headlines, when a CEO or a politician or a pastor stumbles, or as we can see in our own life, the consequences for giving in can be devastating. Families get wrecked. Reputations get ruined. Our bodies suffer. People we know get hurt. We suffer shame and guilt and secrets, all of that, when we can't keep our hands off the cookies in life. But the good news is that through Jesus, there is a way out. In fact, I'm going to give you five ways that you can resist temptation. You might want to write some of them down. They may be helpful. First way out of temptation is this. We need to remember that God is good. In this story, the serpent that represents the devil tempts Adam and Eve by making them think that God is mean. He says to Eve, did did God say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? That's actually not what God said. God said they could eat of every tree in the garden, except the one that would hurt them. Satan makes God sound more strict than he really is, and Eve buys this view of God. And she says, yeah, and not only that, he said we couldn't touch it either. God never said that. She's just adding to the prohibition, making God seem meaner than he really is. We are tempted when we become convinced that God's not good, that he's holding out on us, that we're missing something really great if we follow him. And God becomes sort of a cosmic Aunt Tilly whose sole purpose in life is to keep us from having fun. And we become convinced then that the thing that we want is a good thing. In fact, it's better than God and that God's holding out on us. That's what Satan does here. He says, if you eat it, you'll be smart. You want to be smart, don't you? Satan never tempts us to do something bad. We wouldn't be tempted by that. It always looks good at the time. We think things like, I need to fudge my expense account. Boss doesn't pay me enough. I'm just correcting his payroll error. 
Or my overspending is a good thing. It, it stimulates the economy. Alan Greenspan wouldn't have a job if it weren't for me. And it makes me happy. Temptation begins when we do not trust that God is good and that he has our best interests at heart. And the way out is simply to remind ourselves that God is good and that the rules he gives us are meant to help us have an abundant life, not to make us miserable. Every parent knows this. You know, a lot of times my kids ask for something that's not good for them, usually some sweet snack right before dinner, and we always say no. And then they come back with this virtually irrefutable argument. But I want it. Oh, well, in that case, by all means, right? This settles the argument there. And that's what I say to God all the time. But I want it. But the reason God set the rule there in the first place was for my own good. Just like the reason I don't let my kids eat too many sweet things is I want them to be healthy. I make them go to bed on time so they have energy to enjoy the day. You see, as Christians, we don't resist temptations because we're just all bound up in a bunch of rules. We resist temptation because we know that God is good. And the rules he gives us are meant to help us have the best possible life. Second way out of temptation, be in the right places at the right times, not vice versa. What is Eve even doing standing next to this tree? I mean, she has set herself up to fall before the battle even starts by being in the wrong place. And a lot of times we set ourselves up to be tempted because we just go to the wrong place. So, for instance, giving my little cookie-eating phenomenon, spending a lot of time in front of Mrs. Fields probably isn't a good idea for me. The way out of temptation is not to go there in the first place. Third way out of temptation. We never run from temptation. Never run from temptation. We run to something else that's better instead. When I was doing college ministry, a lot of the guys I mentored were trying to honor women and not objectify them and not spend a lot of time lusting after women in their minds, which is a hard thing to do if you're a 19-year-old male in this culture. But one of the most difficult weeks they faced almost every year, difficult week of the year, was the week that their roommate got the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And they would spend the whole week saying to themselves over and over again, I am not going to look at that Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. I'm not going to look at that Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition with the blonde model on the front cover. Mm -mm. No, I'm not going to look at the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition with the blonde model who has the green eyes and that blue bikini that's sitting there in his desk. I'm not going to look at it. No. And what are they thinking about? The Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition with the blonde model who has the green eyes wearing the light blue bathing suit in the dress drawer all week long. Checkmate. Satan wins. Game over. We don't run from something. That just causes us to obsess about it. We run to something else that's better. So instead of saying, I'm not going to look at that magazine, you say, I'm going to go play foosball with my friends. Or I'm going to go mountain biking. As Christians, we are not defined by what we don't do. You know, we don't have any fun. Come to our church. It's wonderful. <laughs> don't let life make you miserable. The church can help. Right? We're not defined by what we don't do. We're defined by what we do instead. I am not going to gossip. It's not nearly as powerful as saying, you know what? I want healthy, rewarding conversations that do not leave me feeling negative when I'm done. Part of what helps my wife and I resist over-consuming 
to the extent that we can, is that we give 10% of our money to the church here and then some more money to other Christian organizations. And that helps us resist over-consuming, not because we're sitting in our living room saying, we will not buy things, we will not buy things, we will not buy things, but because of what we've done with that money instead. It's already out. It's already gone, spent doing God's work. And whenever we see all the great ways this church is making a difference or we get a letter from one of the kids that we sponsor, it feels way better than had we bought the latest toy and forgotten about it a week later. Remember that God is good. Be in the right places, not the wrong one. Never run from, run to. And next, consider the consequences. Satan here wins because he obscures the consequences of sin. He says, you won't die, which is half true. They didn't die physically right then and there, but they died spiritually. They felt distant from God. They started fighting with each other, and eventually they did die physically. Satan was right. It gave them the knowledge of good and evil, good lost and evil experienced firsthand. But Satan obscures all of those consequences with a half-truth. And that's how temptation works. It's always a half-truth. It'll feel good if you do it. Yeah, it will. For a while. And if you just slow things down a little bit and play the scenario out one or two steps past the temptation, you'll see that giving in has a lot of consequences. A man I know was feeling very tied down and like his whole life was duty and obligation. Felt like his wife wasn't giving him what he needed and so... He left her for another woman, left her and her kids for another woman. And now his kids, that's a horribly broken relationship. The kids can't hardly stand him. There's almost no relationship. He went to his daughter's college graduation. It was tense. It was awkward. It was terrible. He lost a whole family. A lot of pain in that decision. And he still feels tied down because now he's taking care of two families and not just one. And his second wife kind of doesn't trust him because she's afraid that he might leave her too, just like he did the first time. And if he had just slowed it down and played out the scenario one or two steps past the temptation, he might have seen that it had a lot of long-term effects. Now, I want to be clear. All of us have made mistakes, some of them serious. I know I have. And God is always gracious and he forgives us and nobody's going to judge you here. But we also have to face the consequences. For our own good. Because it's those consequences that teach us and help us to grow. Temptation is always a matter of stepping on dollars to pick up pennies. Short-term gain, long-term pain. Remember that God is good. Be in the right places, not the wrong ones. Never run from, run to. Consider the consequences. And finally, get a community of people to help you. If you are struggling with a temptation right now, please tell someone. Please tell someone so that they can pray for you and encourage you and hold you accountable. Not in a policing way, but just in a way that says, hey, how are you doing on that goal of yours? How can I help you get there? Find someone who can do that for you. Secrecy, the devil just loves secrecy. Find someone. Not someone who's going to shame you, but also not someone who is afraid to ask you the hard questions. There's an interesting detail in this passage. It says that Eve gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. Who was with her? Like, what was he doing the whole time she was being tempted, watching the game? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, you would have thought he would have at least said something like, you know, I don't know, Eve, talking snake, doesn't look good. (laughs) Kind of out of the ordinary. 
But no, oh yeah, sure, I'll take it, thanks for the snack, right? Don't get an atom. Get someone who loves you enough to challenge you and ask you the hard questions and is going to help you prevent doing something that's going to hurt you. I had a friend and he and his girlfriend were trying to save sex for marriage. Not because sex is wrong. Sex is a good thing. I'm going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But they wanted to wait because they trusted God's promise that sex is best inside of a committed marriage. And because they didn't want to be making promises with their bodies that they weren't prepared to keep with their hearts. But every date they seemed to end up back at his place and they found it really difficult to resist. So here's what they did. They prayed because you can't do any of this without Jesus. And then they reminded themselves that God was good and that he told them to wait until marriage for good reasons, not to make him miserable, so that they could get to know each other, heart, mind, body, and soul, not just body. And so that the relationship would be balanced and whole. And they took stock of the consequences of giving in, the potential for wounds and baggage that they carried into other relationships. They got some people to pray and hold them accountable. And finally, they decided to have all of their dates at Denny's. Because you can't get in much trouble at Denny's. Right? See, they didn't run from, they ran to the milkshakes at Denny's. They weren't in the wrong place, they were in the right place. And now they're happily married and they're so glad they waited. Because they got to know each other in a whole new, deeper way. Because when you're at Denny's, the only thing you can do is talk. Right? And so they got to know each other's souls. And they avoided a lot of potential pain. They gained 10 pounds. (laughs) But they built a great relationship. God allows us to be tempted. Not to make us miserable, but because through the process of temptation, we become stronger and we have to rely on Him. And because He didn't want to make us robots pre-programmed to obey Him. He wanted us to be human beings with free will. He allows us to be tempted, but he always provides a way out. And that way out is Jesus. The most important thing this couple did was they turned to Jesus when they needed help, and he gave them the power to resist. And the bottom line is we can't do any of this without Jesus. But if we know him, his Holy Spirit lives inside of us and gives us the power to resist temptation. It's not an overwhelming power that would make us robots, and we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit inside of us. But that power is there. It's in the voice that says, do this so you'll live and don't do this so you don't get hurt. It's in the extra motivation that comes when when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And it's in the times of victory when His Spirit grows stronger inside of us. And when we mess up, and all of us do, including me, God forgives us. And He loves us. And He continues to respect us and give us the power to do better the next time. I have some friends who have a little four-year-old boy and they were out to dinner at a pizza parlor one night and it had one of those open kitchens where you can watch the cooks and on the counter was some pizza dough and the little boy was just fascinated by this dough and his parents said, don't touch the dough. But he just kept looking at it and he couldn't keep his eyes off it and they said, don't touch the dough for on the day ye touch thereof ye shall surely die. But the temptation was too great, and so the little boy grabbed some of the dough, took a big bite out of it, and then ran off. So his father caught up with him, and he said, Look, now you're going to have to go say you're sorry to the owners of the restaurant. You touched the dough. They, they can't use it, so you've got to apologize. You disobeyed. Now you have to live with the consequences. 
And the little boy just started freaking out. Not like a normal fit, but just like freaking out. He was shaking and he was just terrified and he was screaming, I don't want to live with the consequences. I don't want to live with the consequences. You know where it's going? He thought the owners of the restaurant were named Mr. and Mrs. Consequences. He didn't want to go live with the consequences. Here's the deal. God never transfers us outside his family of faith. We never have to go live somewhere else. But we do have to live with the consequences. Which is why he says, don't do this. It'll hurt you. And do this because it'll give you life. All of us are tempted and we all fall and we have to face the consequences. But God never stops being our father. And the proof of that is Jesus. There's an interesting detail in this story. It says that Eve took the fruit and then she ate it. Take and eat, the two verbs that describe her sin. Take and eat. Sound familiar? It's the same two words Jesus uses thousands of years later at the Last Supper when he takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In his death and resurrection, Jesus reverses the fall. And he uses the same two verbs that did us in to save us. And he takes our sin that was so great that we crucified our creator. He turns it 180 degrees around and uses that sin to purchase our salvation. And then he gives us the power to resist temptation. The same devil that tempted Adam and Eve tempted Jesus thousands of years later in the wilderness. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we're tempted and he resisted. And that power that resisted way back then is available to us today if we know him. So that we can rise above the lies the devil tells us that would wreck our lives and live the abundant life Jesus came to give us. Lord, thank you that there is a way out of temptation. Lord, I pray for all of us that this week on the various temptations we face from the little ones to the big ones, Lord, we would turn to you and know your power to be free from those things. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.